Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We're continuing our discussion with Brad Tornberg. And in this session, we look at the single most important area that Brad feels needs to be focused on in businesses, and that's communication. We've talked to you about that before. But we're also going to look at how Brad's system of business fitness fits in so well with a quality management system. So for all of you that have quality management systems in place, you'll hear how much more effective they can be if you're using the business fitness system as well. So let's continue our discussion with Brad. Brad, what's your experience been with the leaders that you worked with in relation to their personal fitness and leadership style? What was their reaction in general terms? Well, you know, it's funny. I've worked with a lot of family businesses who call me up and say, listen, we've got some problems in here. You know, people aren't getting along or I don't have the right staff or we're short on this. And so they ask me, can you please take a look and help me identify what the problem is? Nine times out of 10 in a family business, the problem is the owner. And my job is to tell them, I found out what the source of your problem is. He goes, great. What is it? I go, it's you. It's because you don't communicate to people. You expect them to act like you are and act independently. And people need direction and people need leadership and people need thought from Mm -hmm. their leader. But as far as you burying yourself in your office because you're an entrepreneur doing all of these things and not coming out of your office and communicating with people, what happens is they think you don't like them. They think you're not happy with them. They think that you're not important to them because you're not spending any time with them. But in reality, and I've been through this myself as an entrepreneur business owner, that's not it at all. It's, it's, it's they don't understand that as the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur is too busy to have that interaction, which is why I mentioned that there needs to be a manager or a leader within that organization. An entrepreneur is trying to run his own company and lead his own company. It's effective in a small business. But if you look at every business that has become successful or has grown to a certain size, the entrepreneur always steps aside or takes a specific role and brings in a C-level executive to build out the organizational structure. Because in the beginning, It's very easy to just throw pieces at it. But at a certain point, if you want to scale, you have to build an organizational structure. And if you don't know how to do it, you need people who know how to do it. Do you put sales in first to drive the growth of the business? Or do you put the technical people in to support the sales growth that you're having now so that you're adding more technical people? What's that ratio of salespeople to technical people? As an entrepreneur, I I never considered that early on. And I noticed that a lot of other entrepreneurs are just kind of growing and and going in whatever direction the wind kind of takes them. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that's great to a certain point, but you'll never scale your business or grow your business by not making that transformation to a corporation. And that is the biggest difficulty I see small, medium-sized companies making. They realize that in order for them to grow, they have to have a formalized structure, processes, procedures, rules. Or, you know, if you've ever read the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, he talks about building your company like a cookbook. If you look at McDonald's, every hamburger is made the same way. The bun's on this side, the burger's on this side, the lettuce and tomato doesn't go on to the, because it makes it soggy and it gets assembled and the wrapping goes on it. And any McDonald's that you go into in the world, that hamburger tastes the same because it's the same process. And that's what I tell my businesses, which is you need to develop your cookbook. 
Because one day, God forbid, you might run out and then there's the Greyhound bus theory. You get hit by a Greyhound bus. Now what? If you're interested in making your business a legacy business that you want to pass on to your children, how are you going to make that a legacy business unless you have written procedures and practices of how you do things? So it's really the, to me, the biggest shift I see from being an entrepreneur to a company is the formalization of the corporate structure, you know, saying, okay, we got to play like a company if we want to be a company. Just looking at that, uh, my background is, is very much in quality management systems. So we always had a, an understanding wherever I went that every six months we would look at those processes and we would review them. And that was probably the hardest time, not, not so much the implementation, but the actual review of what was in place already because they didn't want to change it. No, it's working. No, we don't need to change it. No, it'll be fine. And then, so we'd get to another six months and it'd be, oh, well, this bit doesn't work so well because they've had people change in that area and they don't understand it as much, but it's okay, we can work with it. And so you'd go back two or three years later and they'd say, oh, it's not working, we're not, we're not using it anymore. And it constantly changes and no one's taking the time to document it. And then all of a sudden what happens is you have tribal knowledge. Somebody leaves, passes that knowledge yeah. on to someone else. It's like telephone or whisper down the lane, right? It gets diluted or the message gets changed. I'm dealing with a client like that right now. We opened up, I said, do you have procedures, right? This is a company that manufactures clean rooms all over the world. Huge company that, that they're scaling and they're growing. No, we don't have any written procedures. Meanwhile, dusting off things in shelves, we found procedures that were written in 2007. Uh-huh. I said, okay, well, these need to get dusted off. They need to get updated and they need to get adhered to because they want to buy a new system. Well, a system without controls, you're wasting your money. Yes. You know, it's people, processes, or technology. One of those three is broken. Either you don't have the right people or you don't have the right process or you don't have the right technology to support that thing. And a lot of times it's like people... They're hitting the wrong point of the triangle. They're saying, we need a new technology system. And then I go in there and I do discovery. That's not what your problem is. Your problem is, is everybody has a different process on how they do things. Mm. So your data becomes untrustworthy. You know, there's no data integrity in what you have because some people put it in a spreadsheet. There's no source of data. Everyone's got different spreadsheets throughout the organization. Mm. So one of the things I try to do is unify everything into a single point of view. And that makes life so much easier. That eliminates paper trail through the organization. That removes auditing that has to go on at every single level and things like that. So, you know, I see that every single time. When I go to a client and they ask me to take a look at their business, the first thing I always say to them when I'm in the conference room afterwards, I say, feel comfortable in knowing that you're not the only people that are going through this. Every client that I'm dealing with has some element of this. So now they feel like, okay, I'm not different than anyone else. This is a problem that's out there. Help me fix that problem. It's been interesting Uh, to answer your question. You know, you, you guys are quality management. And one of the things that's interesting is you know, quality management is the act of overseeing all activities and tasks that have to be accomplished to maintain a level of excellence, right? Well, we're the same in that respect. It means it, it includes a determination of quality policies, creating and implementing quality planning and assurance and improvement and control. And it's usually focused on the business and is defined as a collection of those business processes, right? Business fitness, we do the same things. But we also talk about quality management of the owner. And I think that adds a dimension to quality management. So that that 
may be the little difference between pure cue quality management or quality control, and then what I consider to be all-encompassing or omniscient quality control. Quality control also means you, the owner. Let's look at you. What can we do to improve you, right? Yeah. That's what it is. It's what, what's going to give you that desired level of excellence, you know? Yeah. Maybe you want to lose some weight. Maybe you want to improve your cardiovascular. Maybe you want to include, improve your focus so you can work past three o'clock in the afternoon without having to drink five cups of coffee. It's interesting because when I was doing the research, I looked at, at your framework and I thought, this is so much better than quality management yes. system because it involves the people yes. because so much of the quality management stuff, it, it takes, and it, and it is designed to take people out of the equation so that it's just about the process and you can't do it. it it's not sustainable. Technology, all three of them. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. No, no, you can't. Yeah. It's yeah but it's a good stepping stone. Right. So, you know, I would say to organisations who are listening that have got a quality management system, you've got a stepping stone. You've got a place to start. Yeah. But now you have to start thinking about how does your, not just how the technology works in those systems, but how it works in the triangle with the people and start thinking about the people. So it's good. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, helping me, Brad. It's very good. I like to think so. I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other uh, thing that occurs to me while you're talking is that we, we spoke with Nancy Giordano uh, late last year, and Nancy described herself as a strategic futurist. And her biggest concern in terms of the next generation of leaders was how they get their information. And she was expressing a lot of concern that there's a group of entrepreneurs coming through now who only learn from their own age group or younger and they learn you know, on, on the technology platforms. Are you striking that? Are you seeing that happen? You know, I'll tell you, I'm seeing a different kind of dynamic. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I also see... And my daughter, who's in who's in her second year of medical school, told me this. She goes, Dad, you know, our generation is different than the millennials. We've seen the millennials move back home and not make money. And we don't want to be that way. Mm. So what I'm seeing is like this, this cycle now where we're going back to what people were like in the 50s, where, you know, they're willing to strike out and do new things. This is a gig economy now. And the reason people communicate with their own people is because remember a couple of years ago if you returned the phone call on customer service the next day your service was considered excellent now if somebody reaches out to you and you don't return that message within an hour they wonder what the hell happened to you yes i mean the speed of mm. transactions the speed of communications is so much greater that what i find is the younger people feel that the responsiveness they need from the older generation isn't there. However, what I have found is that a lot of the younger generation is looking to the older generation as mentors for advice. So mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing kind of the opposite, at least in the technology space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That where people are like, hey, man, you know, do you have any advice for me? I'm just starting out in this field. You know, what things should I be looking at? What should I focus on? And I tell this to everyone in technology. I said, you know, there's really good people in technology. There's technology people who blow me away in everything that I could possibly do in technology. And then there's really, really good people who understand the business model and the company and what the problems are. I said, but if you can put those two together, you're a needle in a haystack, a good technologist 
who can speak to a C-level executive, can get in a boardroom belly to belly, and is not afraid to be honest. Because I find that a lot of the young people are afraid to talk the truth. Because how's the guy going to react to me? My philosophy has always been, you're hiring me to tell you the truth. I'm Mm. going to tell you the truth. I'm from the Bronx, New York. You're going to hear it from me, whether you want to hear it or not. And you know what I find is that when I have a young person with me, they're just blown away by that. Man, you just said exactly what needed to be said. You didn't candy coat it. And you know what I say? That's why my clients hire me because I'm brutally honest. And that's mm-hmm. what people want. Unfortunately, yeah. today, everybody, like I said, with the, with a trophy for participation, with empathy, it's yeah. gotten to the point. And, and I don't mean that empathy isn't good. And I don't mean that inclusion isn't good, but has gotten to the point where it's almost oversold. Yeah. where we're so empathetic and we're so sensitive to people that we're almost afraid to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. And that I think if it doesn't change is going to cause a lot of problems in the way that we communicate and in the way businesses understand something or agree to something and then it changes. I mean, I, I think communication is something that the next generation because of technology, their face is always in something. That's something that they really need to learn I took a course in college. It was called business communications. You know, they don't even offer that now. I don't even see that on any of the curriculum, like how to communicate oh. business. We go to college, we're taught how to take a point and expand on it. And the day we start in business and we give the first email or the first letter to our boss, he says, too long, cut it down. Then, we, then we're taught the opposite. We're taught how to take a story and pour, bring it down to a sentence, yeah. right? And that's what I tell people. I said, you know, my, my skill in writing is that I can take whatever you're writing and I can get it much simpler because people have no attention span today. It, it's like, if you look at TikTok or any of the social media platforms, why are they only seven seconds long? Because that's the attention span of someone who's young today. Otherwise, if they don't see what they want to see in the first seven seconds on a web page or whatever it is, guess what? Goodbye. Yeah. So better be captured. Now there's some positive in that. The positive in that is that you get right to the point, but the negative in that is you really never get to explore and detail out the story that's behind it or provide the detail, the detail in front of it, unless that seven seconds set catches them or sells them and everything in advertising today and marketing, that's what they talk about, right? When you have a web page, it better be above the, Above the, the fold, the fold. So see it and then just get right by it shorter is simpler sweeter yeah and as the, the generations are aging now their ability to pay attention becomes less and less where we used to have blogs that were long and articles we now have gone to short videos because people like to watch they're more interactive when they could see something as opposed to read something I don't know what that tells me. If people want to watch something on TV, on a YouTube versus read something. I mean, I like YouTube to learn things, to learn a new programming, to learn how to use something, you know, or learn a shortcut. But I want to read and I read all the time because that's the only way that you get smarter. That's the only way that your vocabulary gets greater. It's the only way that when you're communicating with a C-level executive who's come from an Ivy League school, you're talking to him at the same level. And I think those things are important. And I think they're very much overlooked, especially with the younger generation. It's effective communication. Very much so. And, and I deal with a lot of visual art activities as well. And I find that we have to 
compartmentalize people into are they a visual learner, are they a, a written communication, are they audio learners? And a part of what we've discovered with this podcast, in fact, is that we haven't got many who are visual learners. They're, they're more readers or they're more listeners. So obviously yeah. they're listeners because they're doing the podcast. But in the yeah, last... I'm the opposite. I, I am truly a visual learner. Like when I go out to a, a, a client to do a discovery, I have to be on site. I have to see their manufacturing floor. Yeah. I have to see how it's laid out because visually that helps me solve their problem. So I am a visual learner in that sense. But when it comes to technology and when it comes to learning new things, I'm a reader because yeah. that's how you find things. You know, and you have to read a lot of different manuals. And the one thing that's great is the information today is available 20 years ago. It was a Dewey Decimal System in the library and some magazine articles and calling some people who you knew. So it's much easier to get that information in front of you so that you can make intelligent decisions or that you can do special projects and things like that that you want to do. Time for a break in our discussion with Brad. Join us for part three, the final part of this discussion with Brad Thornburg. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. 